Good morning. Good to see you all. All right, so we'll be in Romans chapter 4 if you want to turn there. Uh, one announcement is we still have some vacancies on the roster in the foyer. Uh, I think the biggest areas of need at the moment are greeting and morning tea. And, and sound, yes, because uh, Paul is down for the count momentarily, but... You know, we'll be back in due time, God willing. But uh, yeah, if anyone can pitch in in those areas, much appreciated. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that we can come to you at all seasons of life, whether we're young or old, whether we recognize our need or we come to you desperate. You hear us, you answer us, you care for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you today. We, did, we need to hear from you. And I pray that we would put into practice the things you teach us, that we would take to heart these lessons that you have through your word, and that we would apply them faithfully to our lives to change the way we think about you, about others, about ourselves, to realize that we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have through him, that it's dependent upon you and your promises and you are faithful. And so we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, boldly come before you in your throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We pray for those who are sick and afflicted. We pray for their healing. We pray, Lord, that we would, if, if we are far from you, that you would restore us. And thank you that you restore our souls. And we just, uh, we delight in you. We love you. And we look forward to what you will say to us today in Jesus name. Amen. Buying things on credit is very common today. Um, once you demonstrate how much you earn or you have a credit score, you can qualify for a credit card to get a loan from the bank. Homeowners can take a line of credit and, and tap into their equity. And in one sense, an employ, employee who's paid monthly, they're working a bit on credit. They credit their employer while they're working day after day, week after week, not receiving an income believing that in due time they will be paid. That money will be transferred into their account and make good. And sometimes credit isn't a formal agreement, but a personal choice. Once I was buying a, a car battery in the States and I went in and it was an old timer running his own shop and he didn't take credit cards. He only took cash or check. I'm like, man, I don't, didn't bring my checkbook and I don't have cash. And he's like, I'll just take the battery. Just put a check in the mail. So I was like, wow. So he's letting me walk out of the door with the $130 part, taking nothing from me, just gave me his card and said, send me something in the mail. So he, he gave that to me on credit. I didn't deserve it. He didn't know me. I made him no promises, but he extended that credit graciously to me. So Paul, he begins this epistle to the Romans. He established all people have sinned. The law of Moses brings the knowledge of sin. And the law given to the Jews was proven ineffective, not because it wasn't good, but because people could not keep it. They failed to keep the law. It just exposed them as sinners. Yet God is merciful and just to provide a way of righteousness apart from the law by faith. It's very soothing. There's a button on the side. You can just push it. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
We almost got to the chorus on that one. <laughs> no worries. So God, he's given us the gospel. We have this opportunity for righteousness by faith in him. So there's no boasting. We can't say how good we are, what we've done to deserve it or how God owes us. How can this be that we could think God owes us anything when he is our creator, when he is only good, when we have only sinned. So how good is God that he has established the law that it fulfills the purpose that God intended from the start to lead sinners to salvation. So in this chapter, Paul uses Abraham and David as historical examples to show that righteousness has always been by faith in God alone and not by the works of the law. So Romans chapter four, starting at verse one, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The new living translation puts it this way. He says, what did he discover about being made right with God? What did Abraham know? Now the Jews in Paul's day, they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. And he had a lot of attributes that were appealing I think when we, when we say someone has authority, we, or an expert opinion, we listen to them because of three things and probably more, but I think what we value is qualifications, experience and successful results. If someone has those three things, we will listen to them. Well, at least say, well, it's worked for him or her. So if you have a high level of education, it gi- it's a qualification. It gives you some credibility. Uh, We're more apt to trust a licensed surgeon who has experience. If someone has 20 years of experience doing a particular surgery, we will trust them more than someone who is a trainee. And if we seek financial advice, we want to get financial advice from someone who is financially successful. Someone who hasn't declared bankruptcy five or six times. Like we want it to have worked for them before we will listen to them and put our money in the accounts or in the, uh, you know, investments that they suggest. So Abraham, he had it all. He was qualified. God met him personally. God spoke to him. He made covenants with him. Abraham experienced these victories in battle. He was exceedingly rich and prosperous because God was with him. Abraham had sway with God. He spoke with him and God called him his friend. So he was qualified. He was experienced. He was successful. He was protected by God everywhere he went. And so Paul asked, how did Abraham have good standing with God? Was he justified by works to be justified? That means to be pardoned from sin and also to have righteous standing to be declared righteous by God. So it's two things, pardon of sin, cleansing, and also to be declared righteous. So Paul says, if Abraham was justified by anything he did, he could lay claim to justifying himself that he contributed to it. Yet Abraham nor no one else could ever say they deserved or could earn righteous standing with God before sinners. I think of all the things that we could boast about, like a Navy seal, someone who has been qualified for a high level of technical 
uh, those tactical missions. They could say, I survived boot camp. I survived hell week. Only 25% of people that are qualified entrants could do that. I've, I've experienced sleepless nights in freezing conditions and I've come through a billionaire. They could say, I made these bold financial choices. I've made sacrifices to obtain this wealth. It was because of what I did that I have my good standing today. But the Bible says that Abraham was not justified by his works. That God spoke to him when he was an ignorant, sinful man who was not seeking God. He was an idolater. He was credited with being righteous before God, not because he obeyed God or he was circumcised or he offered Isaac, his beloved son, or kept the law. Genesis 15, six says, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Faith. He believed God and God credited him, accounted it to him as righteousness. Verse four. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Paul now uses a common illustration of working working to earn a wage to illustrate the different relationship between works and grace. Now in Australia, we have employment contracts that a employee will make with an employer to receive an annual salary or a hourly wage. And if an employee works for a day, well, the employer owes them compensation. They had an agreement, mutual agreement. They are supposed to pay them for that time worked. And so they, the, the employee could say they owe me. They owe me because I've worked this many hours and I have not been paid yet. The company is not gracious to pay them, right? It's not because of grace that a company will pay the employee a wage. It's because they owe that for that labor done. Romans three twenty four. it says sinners are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To say that sinners are justified by the works of the law is saying that God owes sinners. He owes them something because they've done all these good things for him. And we can say this, can't we? We can go, well, Lord, help me because I've done this, because I've sacrificed that, because of all these things that I, I believe you like, and therefore you, you should compensate me for that. But salvation doesn't come that way. God doesn't answer our prayers because of that, because of what we do, but because of who he is and because he is gracious and he's extended that freely to us. The suggestion that justification before God could be earned by works. It's not supported by Abraham and it's not supported by David either. Good works were never a pattern to be righteous before God. David describes this blessedness of being forgiven being credited by righteous apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32 verses one and two. So the blessing of forgiveness and pardon isn't because he ticked a lot of boxes because he did all these things. Therefore he is now blessed. No, it's blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven right from the start without doing anything. 
It's because of God's goodness that he has extended grace to forgive repentant sinners, people who trust in him. Now we do put a lot of emphasis on doing all we can to achieve the outcome we want. I think of baking. I like baking. Um, over the course of time, we get a recipe. I'm, I'm pretty much a stickler for going by the recipe the first time and then maybe making some slight changes if it's not really what I want. But if someone says, oh, I really like a, a good chocolate cake recipe. Well, I'm like, well, here's one. I've tried it. I've pretty much, I, I have very consistent results. And if they say I did it and it was like soup when it was done, I can say something's not right. You did something wrong. The oven wasn't hot enough. The ingredients weren't mixed properly. Did you use a measuring cup or did you just pour in and hope that it would work? Right. And so to say, to say that by works, you can be justified. is like saying, because you can bake a cake, you are holy. Like those two things don't go together at all. Baking's not a measure of godly character. Being experienced baker doesn't mean that you're righteous. David and Abraham, they did good works, but they were never justified by them. They're two totally separate things. Their faith was credited to them. It was accounted to them as righteousness from God. They were blessed, not blessed by their good works, but by God's grace that gave, he just freely gave it to them. So there was no fault of the covenant of law that God made with his people when he led them by the hand out of Egypt, but it exposed fault in them. It showed them that they were sinful. They could not keep the law. They did not keep the law. So God promised, I'm going to establish a new covenant by grace, putting his law in their minds and in their hearts. So it wasn't dependent upon them measuring up, but out of his grace that they would be saved and forgiven. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter eight, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews eight, starting in verse 12. Now the writer of Hebrews here is quoting from Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. God has established a new covenant through the blood of Jesus and a covenant. It's a contract. It's a mutual agreement. And that's just a good way to remember it. It's two parties deciding on something. So God has offered us salvation by grace through faith in Jesus and we, we agree with that by submitting to that covenant. Now the law um, was powerless to save because people were unable to keep it. But God has established a new covenant out of his grace, not the worthiness of those who offered sacrifices daily. God has made a path to pardon through faith in his only begotten son, Jesus. And since the new covenant was established by the shed blood of Jesus, the need for the blood of bulls and goats to cover sins. It was obsolete. There was no need to offer sacrifices day by day. Once Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world once for all, the use of the law to bring the knowledge of sin. It's still vital to show people sin, their sinfulness and need for forgiveness. And it's true how blessed we are to be 
pardoned from our sin and also to be given righteousness by God to, for him to credit that to us when we don't deserve it. Verse nine, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So having established that Abraham and David, they were deemed righteous by faith in God apart from works. He's like, is this blessedness? Is this forgiveness possible for everyone or just for the Jews? Does it include the Gentiles? And to answer this question, we have to consider when this was conferred upon Abraham. Was he credited with righteousness before circumcision or after circumcision? And this is an important point that it was never Abraham in himself being righteous. It was God crediting righteousness to Abraham. He accounted him as righteous. Abraham never measured up to God's standard of righteousness, but God in a sense said, I credit righteousness to you because of your faith in me. I credit that to you. I account you as righteous because you believe me. The book of Genesis, it shows Abraham was called righteous in Genesis 15, six. That's at least 14 years before the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17. So his pardon from sin, his righteous standing with God had nothing to do with being circumcised. Something that the Jews often look to, to show we belong to the covenant with God. We are God's people. They would point to this work to say, we're part of that. We've come under this covenant because of what we've done, because of who we are. And it was part of their identity, but it's by faith that you're made righteous, not by circumcision. I think of when you credit something like a centenarian, a centenarian, I can't say that uh, someone who's over a hundred years old credit different things for living a long time. I, I read an article. I'm like, so what, what do people say? What do they credit for giving them long life? There's a lady who 117 years old. She says, I've lived this long because I eat two raw eggs a day. Another said avoiding marriage was the key. <laughs> Another said five to seven push-ups before breakfast every day. And then the one, one of my favorites that I'm not going to try, it was having a daily full body rub down of olive oil and crossword puzzles. Like, okay, that's a weird mix, but it uh, works for you. Obviously I can't say anything against it. Others credited wine, cigarettes, chocolate, bacon, and sushi. I'm like, how healthy would you be if you did all these? How long would you live? I don't know that you'd necessarily live that long. So when I think about all these different reasons or the things they credit for their long life, um, it reminds me a little bit of that classic scene in the animated classic Dumbo where, you know, the, the, the elephant has these big ears, lacks confidence to jump, can fly, but has this little magic feather that thinks like, because of this magic feather, I can fly but realizes at the end that it's really not the magic feather at all. It's because he has these abnormally large ears that he can fly. And so it's like 
Paul saying, guys, Abraham didn't reach to great age because he drank camel's milk. He wasn't righteous because he was circumcised. All these things that you look to and hold to, to think this is my righteousness. This is what makes me acceptable before God. He's like, it's none of those things. It's faith in God that credits you with righteousness. All these other things are false supports. They cannot help you. They cannot forgive you of sins. They cannot give you good standing before God. You can do them all your best. They still cannot save you. The Jews wrongly and others have credited the law or by the things they do by extension themselves, crediting themselves for their own righteousness as if God owes them because of what they've done. Verse 11, it says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So circumcision that did not make Abraham righteous. It was a sign. It was a seal of righteousness by faith. He already had credited to him by God's grace signs and seals. They are similar things. They have similarities. They they're both used to convey information. They are identification and also authority. They point to something greater than themselves. When you see a sign that says airport, it does not make the airport exist. It is not an airport. It is pointing to the airport. It is saying, go that way, go, go left. That's where the airport is. When Jesus was crucified, he had a sign over his head written by Pontius Pilate in three languages, Latin, Hebrew, and Greek that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Did the sign make Jesus King? Because he's got a sign over his head. He is King. No, he's the King. It was just showing he was the King. It's a sign to say, this is the King. The one you're crucifying is the Christ, the son of God, the King of the Jews. So it was conveying his true identity, a seal that's used to secure documents, to prove authenticity that they came from the authority of a ruler. So you would have wax and you would put your seal on that to show that this has come from the King or come from the ruler. When Pilate commanded the tomb of Jesus to be sealed, he put the Roman seal on it. Now the seal has no power in itself. But the seal, the power resides in the governor, in the empire that backs it up, that it points to. So circumcision, it was a sign. It was a seal. It pointed to the righteousness by faith that God had given Abraham. The one that's available to the circumcised and the uncircumcised to the Jew, as well as the Gentile, it's available to everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, righteousness is obtained in God's sight by faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not just reserved for the Jews. They thought it was their special thing and it is special, but it's for everyone. That's the, this new covenant that God has given the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, that we can be spiritual descendants of Abraham. When we sing the song, father Abraham had many sons. That is true for us in a spiritual sense. Because we have the same faith as Abraham faith in God, that he is the one and only God. And we can call him father, God, our father. 
So back in Romans four, verse 13, it says for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. The new living, it puts verse 13 this way. It says clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith this right relationship with God that comes by faith. So the promise God made Abraham and to his descendants to inherit the land, it preceded circumcision. It preceded the law. This right relationship Abraham had was through faith in God, this righteous standing. And Paul says, if it was through the law that you were made heirs of the promise, then faith is pointless. What's the point of faith? If by keeping the law, you're made righteous, God's promises, they're, they're also pointless. If it's by the law, doing the law that we are forgiven. I think of what you can do legally. You can legally change your name, but you can't change who you are. You can't change who your parents are. It doesn't make you a different person. Like I could be named King Charles the fourth. It doesn't make me heir to the throne of England, right? Just, it doesn't change who I am. Now we're heirs of God's eternal kingdom by faith in Jesus, not through the law. The law had no power to change you. It could not change your identity. It could not make you holy. It could not forgive you of sin. It had no mercy for you if you broke the law. But God's promise is infinitely more sure than our ability to keep the law. So praise the Lord. He has made this the way of salvation. As Paul wrote in Galatians three, verse 10, it says for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse for it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Rather than bringing a blessing and a promise of life, this blessedness that Paul spoke of the law, it brought wrath. It brought condemnation. It brought judgment for sin. And as, as many times as the law was broken, it continued to create more wrath. It just stirred up more wrath against the evildoer. Remember the, the law never rewards anyone who keeps it. It just punishes everyone without mercy who breaks it. Paul holds forth the principle here. He says, where the law is, there is no transgression. Now this word transgression, it means to go over a line. It means there's a line there. There's a clearly defined boundary and to step over it, to go beyond it. The law creates problems for sinners rather than providing solutions because it draws lines everywhere. Lines everywhere. You can't miss them. I mean, you, you, you ignore some, you, you intentionally or accidentally can step over it. Think of the Olympics where people are doing like track and field and they're doing the long jump and run, 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 run. Oh, I stepped over the line. I didn't want to step over the line, but I did broke the law, you know, disqualified. The, the flag goes up. The law doesn't differentiate between those who maliciously cross the line accidentally, ignorantly. It doesn't matter. You're all condemned by the law. 
And then the last part of Romans 14, 23, it puts down another principle. It says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Man was condemned before God before the law came for sin. Because whatever is not from faith in God is sin. Adam, he did cross a line in the garden of Eden when he ate of the forbidden fruit, but the heart of the problem happened before the law was broken because there was a departure from faith and obedience to God. The writer of Hebrews wrote without faith, it's impossible to please God. Unbelief in God pride. These are sins that lead to sin. So when you break the law, that's not where the sin began. The sin began in the heart and in the mind that did not trust God, that would not submit to God. That's where sin is. It's inside of us where we have not trusted. We have not believed. We have not relied upon God. Romans four sixteen. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. God is so wise to make our righteousness by grace through faith in him. So we're assured of it forever rather than making our righteousness contingent on our ability to keep the law. I mean, imagine if our righteousness depended on our performance, we could never measure up because you break it one time and you're done and there's no going back. There's no fixing it. There would be no righteous. No, not one. There is none righteous. No, not one. Christ has become righteousness for us through faith in him. God promised Abraham. He said, you shall be the father of many nations. Now, ethnically speaking, many in this room, we hail from different countries of origin, but we can all share the same faith that Abraham did in God. And this is confirmed in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, having put on Christ this new identity, it does not strip us of our culture being male or female. It transcends it by making us born again, children of God. So by faith, we are now heirs of the promise and of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And so when you read the promise that God's made to Abraham, you're like, you know, I'm part of this promise. And then Paul, he launches into this glorious description of God's miraculous power, his supernatural ability that he demonstrated with creating the world or the incarnation of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, ascension to heaven, that how both Jew and Gentile can be born again, that God can say something that's not there and it can be there. He can just speak things into existence. And when he says, in my sight, you are righteous. It's true. He confers that upon us. He accounts it by his grace that we were once dead in sins. Now we're made alive to him, not just theoretically really alive, born again, new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. 
Our lives were completely marred by sin. And he said, you are righteous by grace through faith in me. It's just amazing. And God, he pulled Abraham outside. He says, check out the stars. See if you can count them. That's how many descendants you're going to have at a time where Abraham didn't have any kids. Pretty remarkable. This was when he was older. I mean, one thing if he said that when he was 20, but he said it when he was old, a bit older, Sarah, barren, had no children and he had no expectation of children. She wasn't pregnant. She had never been pregnant. She had now gone through menopause. He had, he later was also, he had some sexual dysfunction there, there was nothing happening, but God's like, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he believed God. He said, okay. And God accounted it to him for righteousness. He expected God to do it. Now that is a real challenge for us, isn't it? Where it's like, all right, it's one thing to say, oh, I believe you, God. Yeah, I believe you. But do you expect it? Are you saying, oh, he's going to do it. It's just a matter of when, as time is ticking and life goes on. And God, he blessed him. He multiplied his descendants like the stars of heaven. He says, I'll make your descendants like the sand on the seashore. They will possess the gate of their enemies. Now, this doesn't seem possible if you say, okay, descendants like the sand of the seashore, zero sons times whatever, or one son times whatever. How could it be that many? How could that possibly happen? But he believed God. He was convinced he was able to perform it. Verse 19 and not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Here is a man who is weak in body, but not weak in faith. He did not hesitate to believe God's promise. He did not require a sign despite his impotence and Sarah's barrenness. And it's so easy for us to consider our own natural limitations, the things we can't do. You begin to realize things that you can't do. Maybe things that you could do before. There's some things that we've never been able to do, like run hundred meters in less than nine seconds. I don't care how hard you try. It's likely you cannot do that. You just can't <laughs> uh, to jump 10 meters. Like for me, good luck. I, I, I could maybe fall 10 meters. Could do that. You know, like if you pushed me off a roof, I could, I could probably fall that long. I may not survive, but I could do it. And there are things you can try and try and it's just beyond your ability. And I think when you're talking about having kids, it's very easy to despair if you're wanting kids and you're not having kids and you keep trying and you keep trying and you're reminded month after month that you are, it's not happening. And you think 50, 60, 70 years of this, and he has full confidence that God will do it when he like, why didn't he do it all that time ago? But faith doesn't ask that question. Faith believes God. He believed God. He says, I, I know it. I'm not hoping I have, I know what he's going to do. Cause he said it. 
When God said that he was going to make him the father of many nations, he trusted that promise. He could have been cynical, but no, he believed God. Sarah's initial response was to laugh, to scoff. But she also had faith. As we read in Hebrews 11, 11, it says by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So she believed God. Abraham believed God. These are regular people that God strengthened to trust him and believe him when things were impossible, when it was just beyond their ability. And maybe it took decades for them to come to that conclusion, but God is faithful. He kept his word. He made good on his promise. So instead of focusing on all their past failures on their inabilities, they trusted God and his word. What he said, he's going to do it. How foolish it would be to think God's incapable because we're unable. We can do this. Verse 23. Now it was written for his sake, not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. God's word says Abraham's faith was accounted as righteousness in the sight of God. And it's recorded not just for his sake, but for our sake where we think it's impossible for me to be righteous. I can see my sin. That's all I can see my failure to live up to God's standard, but God who raises the dead to life, God who causes the barren to give birth and to laugh and say, everyone's going to laugh with me with joy we can be righteous in the sight of God by faith in Jesus. Cause this word imputed, we see it many times here. It's not a word we use very often. It means charged to the account of attributed or ascribed Abraham. He was not righteous in himself. It wasn't by anything he did, but God credited him. He imputed righteousness to him on account of his faith in God. And there is great application for us today because our righteousness is also imputed by faith in God, not by works of the law. We have faith that Jesus has come to earth, that he died on the cross, that he was buried. He rose from the dead. He has ascended to heaven. He was raised because of our justification. And so his death was the payment for sin. His blood was shed. His resurrection shows that we have been justified, that the payment was received by God, that it was acceptable. And the life that we see in Jesus is the life that he puts in us by his grace through the gospel. If our good pardon or standing before God came by our efforts, we would only be assured of condemnation. That is all nothing but condemnation, nothing but wrath forever. But because of what God has done in imputing righteousness by faith, we have hope and a sure hope. I love what it says in one John five thirteen. It says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. We might think that the, this message of the gospel is just for the unbeliever, but he's like, I want you people who believe Yes, those who are outside of Christ, may they believe. But how about believers believe in the name of the son of God, that he's able to raise the dead from, to life, 
that he's able to take your, your sin and make you righteous in his sight by his grace. And he'll do that for you. And he'll do that for your descendants. And he'll do to those do for those people that you believe will never listen. They'll never come around. Well, what has God said? If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can know that you have eternal life and keep believing in the name of the son of God. Don't start trusting yourself. Don't think that it's by anything you could do. It's by his grace. So since our righteousness is by faith in God, we have confidence and assurance. God will make good on his promise to fill us with the Holy spirit to receive us to himself Our righteous standing with God is not by what we've done. So it doesn't depend upon us. It depends upon him keeping his word and he is faithful. We are his adopted children. He will receive us unto himself and there's no room for boasting as if we've earned it. Imagine if Abraham or Sarah said after the birth of Isaac, well, all that effort to have children finally paid off, took 80 years, but here we are. No, it was God. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh. He did it. It was God's doing. Who but God could have redeemed lost sinners, made us saints, heirs of the kingdom of God and receivers of the promises of Abraham. No one but God. Who but God could take us wretched sinners, pardon us from sin And credit us with righteousness because of faith in him. And who but God could provide that payment that's needed to satisfy the just requirements of the law and to give us new life through the blood of Jesus. I mean, how this should humble us, how it should fill us with gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done. I love what it says in one Peter 1 20 and 21. It says he indeed was or foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Aren't you glad that the salvation that's through faith in Jesus, that righteousness imputed is for you. It has been manifested for you in these last days. Time is running out, but God has made a way for you and for me to know God, to be received to God, to be righteous before God, that we can have a sure expectation of his presence, his power, his spirit, his salvation through the gospel. And David, he said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. How doubly blessed we are to be cleansed from sin and have righteousness imputed to us, right? Not just the removal of sin, but the crediting of righteousness where God's like, I account you as righteous because of faith in me. I mean, such standing is not earned by working. It's not lost by failing our faith and hope. It doesn't hinge on what we do, but on what Jesus has promised and what he has done. Let's pray. Lord, I am filled with great joy and gladness for what you have given us through Jesus Christ. And I feel like we have only begun to scratch the surface of the grace and goodness you have shown us. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see that this grace is not just for certain people, but for all people, us sinners, 
people like Abraham and David who are called righteous by faith in you. Lord, thank you for making it possible, not just making it possible, but we can be assured that we are in Christ, that we can be born again, that we are yours and you are ours. And we have an eternal glorious future to enjoy with you starting right now. And I pray Lord that we who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we would continue to believe when we are doubting, when we are struggling, when we are lured by sin, Lord, we would return to you. We would return with repentance, humility, rejoicing, choosing to do what pleases you rather than just trying to measure up on our own, thinking that we can earn a righteous standing. That's only a gift by grace through faith in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have given us such a gift. And I pray we would be uh, so happy to share this truth with others that we would uh, wear this joy on our faces and in our hearts in the way that we live, especially when things are hard and when our expectations are dashed, when we are hurting, when things seem uncertain that we would just rely upon you even more and we would rest and find comfort in you and your word. And we thank you again, Lord, for all that you're doing in each of our hearts, in our lives and for drawing us to yourself by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for imputing righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.